So we're in Genesis 21, and I'll go ahead and tell you, this chapter is really a setup for the next chapter. So we're gonna get, we're gonna go through it, and I hope you've been following along. You know, Memorial Day wasn't too long ago, and it was vacations been going on summer. Um, so I'm gonna pick up in 21 where we where we left off. Um, basically, you know, we we left off with. Uh, are we in 21 or 20? 21. Yeah, okay. I'm making sure I was right. I'm thinking, look at that. All right, so we are in 21. And in 21, what we're going to see, I'll just go on and give you an overview. That way you know kind of what we're looking at so you don't get lost on the way. In 21, we are going to see the fulfillment, finally, of the promises that God has been making to Abraham for 25 years. We're going to see Abraham is going to finally be, at the end of chapter 21, it's like, you ever watch those sitcoms on TV, you know, where really it doesn't matter what happens, it doesn't matter what goes on, by the end of the episode, everything has to be resolved, it has to be right back to the way it was so they can start the next episode, whatever. At the end of this chapter, every the point of this chapter is to show that everything, is perfect in Abraham's life. It is finally exactly the way that he wants it to be, exactly what he's been hoping for. He's going to have the son, the seed that has always been promised to him. Finally, in his old age, he's going to have that Isaac, that child, and then he's going to be finally at peace with the people of the land that he's living in. He's going to be finally worshiping God at the, you know, with the in the land that he's in, and it's just all going to be unicorns and rainbows and pink pretty roses everything's wonderful and that is really going to set him up for the next chapter which is going to be the temptation the trial where he is told to take Isaac and sacrifice him so really what we're going to see is this is all setting up everything's just wonderful and right when you think this is Abraham's this is Abraham's moment in the sun God comes to him with this insane request to come and sacrifice your kid, you know, and so that's what we're going to kind of look at. We're going to kind of go over this, um, go over this setup, really, as Abraham's life finally comes full circle. Uh, it says in verse one and two. I'm just, I'm going to read them quite fast because there's a lot of verses, and we're just going to talk about it as we go. It says, and the Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as He had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. So here is finally, I mean finally the fulfillment. For 25 years, God has been promising Abraham a son. We've seen him sin and go and try to do it himself by getting Hagar, the, the Egyptian handmaiden, and he has Ishmael. And then, you know, all that goes on. And they're still reeling from that. We'll see that in this chapter. But now finally God has finally fulfilled that promise and the emphasis on these two verses is about what God had spoken did you see that remember there's something I've always said something I say often when you're reading your Bible and you see repeated words or phrases throughout a chapter or a section 
you, that is there for a reason. You need to pay attention. It's trying to let you know. It's trying to emphasize something. And you can see it over and over again in just those first two verses. It's about God's word. It says, uh, And the Lord visited Sarah as he has said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and buried Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. So there's three times in one verse, in two verses, we're focusing on God's word, God's promise. There, what God has said. And so you see that God not only fulfills the promise, but he fulfills it exactly when he said that he was going to fulfill it. Fulfill it. When did he tell Abraham and Sarah they would have a son? It was in the last chapter or chapter before last. In one year, he said, I'll return. Well, right before Sodom and Gomorrah came to Abraham and he said, Within, this time next year, I'm going to return to Sarah and she's going to have a son. And not only did it happen just as God promised, but it happened exactly when God promised. Now, more often than not, he doesn't tell us when something's going to happen or when the promise is going to be fulfilled. And for most of Abraham's you know, life, the 24 years, he didn't tell Abraham when it was going to happen. He was, Abraham was always looking for it. You can imagine, you know, if God makes you a promise, you know, we have promises in scripture and uh, all those things, but when it doesn't just absolutely come to pass in the next, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, we start thinking, God, I mean, didn't you promise? Where are you at? Why aren't you doing it? And really, God's promises are in his time. And we see that Abraham and Sarah waited. He was called out of his family at 75 years old to the land of promise. And he was given the promise, you're going to have a son and you'll be a great nation and nations are going to be blessed through you. And now he's going to have a son finally at 100 years old. Uh, so 25 years have gone by with all of these trials and tribulations. And so he says, uh, he says, uh, uh, you're going to have a son. He, the son has finally come, and it's in Abraham's old age, uh, showing that it's God that gets glory for this alone. Uh, verse 3 and 4, Abraham called the name of his son that was born to him. Uh, called And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, and God, as God had commanded him. So Abraham not only is uh, receiving the fulfillment of the promise, he is obedient. When did God, God commanded that his name would be Isaac. What does Isaac mean? Y'all remember? Laughter. Laughter. Why is he named Laughter. Because Sarah laughed. Sarah laughed. Not only did Sarah laugh, but actually he's called, he said, you will name him Isaac when Abraham laughed. At first in, uh, in Genesis chapter 15, if you remember, uh, God spoke that Abraham would have a son. And it says Abraham laughed. And we, we talked about that being disbelief. And then when the, God visited Abraham's camp and told him about the son, Sarah in the tent laughed. And so he called, they're going to call his name laughter. That's what Yitzhak means in Hebrew. Isaac means laughter. And so he names him what God told him to name him. He circumcised him on the eighth day which was the command that God gave Abraham in chapter 17 verse 10. Uh, you know you need to circumcise all the males. Actually it's kind of interesting this is the first male child that is born where he is 
you know, that we know of that's written in Scripture that is circumcised at birth, you know, circumcised on the eighth day. Everybody else had it, you know, no matter what age it was, which really would stink. But uh, he had it on, this is, uh, Isaac was circumcised. He obe uh, Abraham obeyed by naming him what God told him to name him, circumcising him uh, in, in the, the covenant. And then they are going to throw this huge party. It's a time of rejoicing. Verse 5 says, And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. What does Isaac's name mean? It means laughter. So Sarah now is laying hold of, she's laughing now in joy, not in unbelief. Uh, and she understands the seed promise. Well, what's the seed promise that has been the theme that we've seen all the way through Genesis so far? That all nations will be blessed through Abraham. All nations would be blessed through Abraham. And what's the fulfillment that we know that it is because of the New Testament? Our Lord Jesus. It's Jesus is the fulfillment of the seed. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, it says that I will, God said, I'll give a seed. I'll bring a seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent will bruise his heel. And we see that that promise goes, it moves through the line of Seth. It moves through the line of <laughs> Noah. It moves through the line of Abraham. And now it diverts. You need to make sure you understand that. The line of the seed has come down through Abraham and now it splits. Abraham has two sons. What are the names? Isaac and Ishmael. The line splits toward and goes through Isaac's line not through Ishmael's line. And so this is um, this is Sarah rejoicing. Rejoicing, laughing and she understands this seed promise that everybody who hears of this, everybody who see this, sees this is going to laugh. They're going to rejoice because this is the promised seed. This is the one uh, through whom that seed will come. This is the promise of God. So they, they marvel at God's work. Verse 7 says, and she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have a given children suck for I have borne him a son in his old age. Abraham's 100. Sarah is 90. And just had a baby. Y'all seen Josie walking around here with Lindsay? Can you imagine having Josie at 90? You ladies at 90? Not only did she have a baby at 90, but she nursed the baby at 90. You know, so that's, you know, props for Miss Sarah for sure. But the reality is, you know, and this is just me thinking out loud. God didn't fulfill his promise for 25 years and waited till Abraham's 100, uh, Sarah is, a, is 90. You know, they're only going to live to 120, 130, right in there somewhere. And so this is, even in those days, this is at the close to the end of their life, you know. And she's marveling that, you know, women don't usually have babies at 90. And I think that, this is just me talking, but I think that he did this purposefully. Because who gets the glory for Isaac? It's only, I mean, it was impossible. It was impossible on more than one front that she would have a baby. Because now she's past the point of childbearing, no doubt, 90. But even before she was past the point of childbearing, she'd been barren her whole life. I mean, she, had, she was unable to have a child even when she was young. And so she'd been barren her whole life. And then all of a sudden, God 
has provided this son to her from her own body when she's 90 years old. It's just God glorifies himself by bringing forth the promise. He's not going to let anybody say, well, you know, it, it probably could have happened. Abraham was, you know, it, it, not necessarily miraculous. It probably could have just took place. No, it was absolutely miraculous. Couldn't have happened any other way. And God himself is going to get glory out of this. And so they're all rejoicing. They're all laughing. They are all just excited about this. And uh, in verse 8, it says they're going to throw a party. Now, time is moving right here. So make sure you stay with me. It says, and the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Now, when you think of a child being weaned, what do you think? What age are we talking about? About a year old. About a year old, maybe. Well, if that's when I weaned mine from the bottle. Right, right. And I, I think, Dana, what, when did you, we weaned off from the bottle like 24 hours after we had them, something like that. <laughs> no, I don't know. In this day, it was, it was a good three or four years old. I mean, don't we have, we have, we know somebody that breastfed their kids for, what is it? Two. I thought it was three or four. Anyway, we're talking about two or three years at least when you're weaned from the milk. Okay? I ain't going too far into that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So, two or three years old, says the child grew, was weaned, and it was customary to have a feast when the firstborn son was weaned. You know, you would celebrate, this is the heir, you'd bring all the servants in, bring all the family in, we'd have a feast. We, customary, it's customary. So, this is what's going on. What you're seeing here is a time of joy, a time of, I mean, God is fulfilled, everything's good. But there's going to be a thorn in the side right here. We're going to see a threat that comes up. We're going to see Sarah notice the threat, and then God is going to say, yeah, we, we need to take care of this threat. Uh, verse 9, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, so y'all be ready to interact. Don't just listen. It says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar. Notice that throughout this chapter, through the whole chapter, Ishmael's name is never mentioned. He's always the son of the servant, the son of the slave woman, son of Hagar. He's never named by his name. It says, huh? Well, there's different thinking. Most of all, most people think that it's because he he is um, uh, he he is. In the in the reader's mind, he's wanting to be downgraded to, uh, you know, uh, the slave son, you know, rather than because Abraham's going to be upset. You know, Abraham loves Ishmael and he loves this is Ishmael. This is his son. The word Ishmael means God hears. We're going to see that here in a minute. But huh? Ishmael's like 14. Yeah, well, probably 16. He's probably 16. So we're going to talk about that in a minute, too. Um, there's lots of theories, but I think it is to take emphasis off of Ishmael, to show that Ishmael is not the seed, and he is disdained in the mind of Sarah. She looks on him with, you know, malice. She looks on him with, you know, and and even even God, when he speaks, he says, uh, we'll see it. He doesn't, he doesn't name Ishmael's name. I forget what he calls him, but um, he calls him the son. Son of Sarah of Hagar, your servant, or something like that. It says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. He was mocking. Uh, presumably Isaac. Now we don't know exactly what he was doing. Now remember. Throughout this chapter, the way that it's phrased, you always think of Ishmael as an infant. 
You know, you're going to see the way that it's phrased, it's almost like Hagar is carrying him out into the wilderness. And then the way it's phrased, it's almost like she throws him over into the bushes as a little infant. He's not an infant. He was, Abraham had, let me, I think I wrote it down. Abraham, if you write down Genesis 16, 16, Abraham had Ishmael when he was 86 years old. That's what it says in Genesis 16. Now it said, told us in this chapter, Abraham is now 100. And that's 14 years, but we're giving him two years because the child was weaned. You know, it takes a couple years to be weaned. He's between 14 and 16. 14, 16, 17. He is, he is you know, a, a pretty good adolescent. You know, almost a man, not quite. He's still referred to as a child, as a, as a boy. But he is, he's not a little baby. I mean, so you got Sarah at this feast. You got Sarah rejoicing and Abraham rejoicing that the son has finally been given. And here we are. And all of a sudden you see, now come on, mamas. You see this 16-year-old mocking your little two-year-old. What goes through your mind? Mama coming out. Come on now, y'all. We all like, oh, Sarah's a bad person. Y'all would jack up a little 16-year-old messing with your two-year-old. And you know good and well you would. It says, let me flip over. We don't know exactly what he was doing. Don't know exactly. The word, I will tell you this, the word that is in Hebrew that is used, that's translated mocking, is a derivative of the same word that was used earlier to say laughing. And so you see Sarah laughs in joy and it's going to say that it, it says that Ishmael is laughing at Isaac. He is mocking him. So mocking is a good way to put it. He was not laughing in joy. He was not laughing with him. He was he was mocking him. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 28, I'll just read it to you. You don't have to turn there. It says, Paul is talking about the, you know, he is using Abraham, he's using Ishmael and Isaac as a example of the seed of the woman and who we are in Christ. And he says, now we brethren, this is Paul in Galatians chapter 4, now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of the promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh, talking about Ishmael, persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. So we're not sure what he was doing, but even Paul in the New Testament tells us that Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. So Sarah sees this and she instinctively understands this boy, this 16-year-old, this 14 to 17-year-old, we're not sure how exactly, how, he's a threat to Isaac. Because not only, not only is he being a butt, you know, he's mocking and be, but he is, he could vie for the inheritance. He could vie to be the firstborn son. <clears throat> he could take away, <clears throat> he could be, you know, he could, he's older, stronger. He could be, he could be considered the heir if something happened. And so he's got to go. I mean, he's got, he and his, and his Egyptian mama have to go. They have to get out. We want them gone. And so it says in uh, 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 verse 10, Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. In those days, the firstborn son received a double portion of the inheritance, and the son of a slave woman by the head of the house was entitled to a portion of the inheritance. So he's a threat. He's a threat to Isaac's inheritance, to Isaac being the heir of Abraham. He's a threat to the promise of God who would be uh, the seed of, in Sarah's mind, who would be the seed of um, 
the promise that, that God has made. So he's got to go. He's got to go. Now, let me ask you, is Sarah's motivation, is her, is that righteous here? Is it righteous for her to say, we're going to kick them out? What do you think? Jealous. She is definitely jealous. She's afraid. She's afraid. Absolutely afraid. She, you know, you can't, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not saying, I don't think it is, I don't think her heart is actually righteous, but God is going to agree with her. He's going to tell Abraham, look, you do what she says and you get rid of, get them out. Uh, but don't worry because I'm going to take care of them. God says, I'm going to take care of Ishmael and, and Hagar. Um, I don't know for certain whether we could say it's righteous or not, but I do know, and all y'all know, and being a youth pastor, I've seen it in I've seen it in some of y'all. Somebody messes with your kid, and you just turn you you turn into Rambo. You know, I mean, it don't matter. I will I will I've had parents tell children, I will kill you. If you mess with my daughter again or my son again, I mean, I will destroy you. You know, I mean, that's just an instinct. Somebody messes with your kid. You I mean, you just the bear comes out. You know, it's just a natural thing. And so when Sarah's waited for this kid forever, finally, God, I'm not letting this Egyptian born whatever stand in the way of my, you know, that snap was just for effect. Uh, you know, I'm not, it's not happening. It's not happening. They got to go. They got to get out. And so you see that there's a threat here to the peace that's going on in the house. There's a threat to the rejoicing. There's a, re- a threat she perceives to the promise of God being fulfilled. And that she probably feels superior to her. Oh, I, I guarantee it. Not only is she Abraham's <coughs> and has, you know, bore his child as well. Yeah. But she's got the God's promise on her side too. Oh yeah. That. I guarantee it. And she doesn't no look at the language. Cast out this bond woman. Yeah. She you know. Did she learned a lesson from this because she gave the bond woman two <laughs> She did. It was it was her fault. You cannot deny that. And we saw that when it happened. You know, she gave the bondwoman to Abraham. She said, let's do this. And then when it happened, just like she wanted, she said, okay, now I'm mad. You know, how could you do it? It was, it was all her doing. It was Okay, I, I'm leaving that one. I'm leaving that one alone. Uh, yes. Every time she sees him, too, it reminds her that she didn't trust God. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you can think he's 16 years old, 14, 14 to 16. I'm just going to say 16. Don't know exactly how old. You can imagine he's Abraham's only son for 16 years. You can imagine a relationship that developed with between Abraham and his Ishmael, his 16-year-old son, through these years. Sarah's looking at this. She's still barren, no children. You know, she's watching the son of she doesn't even call her name, the son of this bond woman all this time, and and she's seeing them grow up. She knows Abraham loves the boy. We're going to see that here in just a second. And all of a sudden, she sees the struggle that's going to start happening, the power struggle that may start going on between. Ishmael and Isaac, and she knows where Abraham's heart is. Oh no, they got to go. They got to get out. And she says, uh, "You take this bondwoman. You send them off. He is not going to be heir with my son." And it says, verse eleven shows us Abraham's heart. It says, "And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son." Why was it grievous? 
He loved his son. I mean, that we had already seen in the previous chapter. God said, Isaac is going to be the seed of the woman that's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to be the promised child that is going to be through, through that line is going to be the promise fulfilled that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And what did Abraham say? He said, oh, that Isaac would live before you. I mean, oh, that Ishmael would live before you. He, he wanted Ishmael to be the son. It was his only son that he had, you know, because his wife had been barren. And he, was, he, he loved him and he didn't want to send him off. And verse 12, it says, And God said to Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of the bondwoman. That's what he called her, the bondwoman. In all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now, what is the purpose? What's the reason why God says, go ahead and do what Sarah said to do? For in Isaac the seed shall be called. There is a threat. There is a threat in this. We see it. It's going, there, there's going to be a power struggle. There's going to be a vying for that inheritance. And there's going to be uh, some, uh, Ishmael. And if it stays like it is, there's going to be tension. There's going to be a clash when it comes time for the inheritance to be made. And you're, we're going to go through the line of Isaac and then Jacob. And we're going to see there's going to be tension. So God says, yeah, this time you need to listen to your wife. And you need to send them. You need to send them out because it's Isaac who, through whom the seed is going to be called. But he he um, he takes the pressure off Abraham by saying, um, verse thirteen says, and also of the son and the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. He is your son. Don't worry about sending him off. He's not going to die. He's not going to starve to death. I'm going to make him a nation as well. I'm going to make him a people as well. So he gives God, I mean, God gives Abraham this, this promise. Go ahead and do what Sarah said because he is a threat to the seed. He is a threat to the promise. He is a threat to the line that is going to eventually bear forth the Messiah. Uh, but don't worry about, I know you love him. Don't worry about his well-being. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to actually make a great nation of him. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of him. So Abraham obeys. Like Abraham most often does anyway. Abraham rose up early in the morning, took bread and a bottle of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, look what it says. When you read this, it's, all, it's easy to make it sound like Ishmael is a baby. Like, like Abraham put... One side he put the provisions, the other side he put the baby, and she went off. But actually, the word child, in the, in, the, in the original language, the word child there is the second object of the word gave. So if you don't understand that, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, it says he took bread and a bottle of water, gave it to Hagar. He gave her the bread and the bottle of water. Putting it on her shoulder and the child is part of what he gave. He gave the child and bread and water to Abraham. Basically, he said she he put it in her he put it in her possession and said, 
Get gone. Get gone. So Ishmael is not an infant. He's not a baby. You're going to see it again when it seems like she just chunks him into bushes. He was born when Abraham was 86 years old. That's told to us in chapter 17. And Abraham is now 100 years old. So he's at least 14. I would say probably 15, 16 based on when Isaac was weaned because of what it says. After he was weaned, they threw this celebration. And so she, Abraham says, you know what? Here's some stuff. Take the kid. Y'all get gone. And you can imagine what do you think is going through Abraham's head. What do you think Abraham's heart's going? It's breaking. I'm at, you you got you got to know it's breaking. He loves Ishmael. I mean he he pleaded for in front of God for Ishmael, and it grieved him when Sarah is talking about making him go away. Really, I think I think I don't think Abraham would have obeyed if God would not have told. This is just me thinking out loud. This is not Bible or anything. I don't know if Abraham would have obeyed if God hadn't told him I'm going to take care of him. Don't worry, he's going to be a great nation. He's going to be a great people. He's not going to starve to death. Not going to die. It's going to be okay. And so he sends her off and it says, uh, 15 says, and the water was spent in the bottle. She ran out of water. She cast the child under it at the last part of verse 14 though. You see where it says she departed and she wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba, right? We're going to see that at the end of this chapter. If, if we get to it, if I need to hurry up. Oh yeah, I need to hurry up. Uh, the Beersheba is where they're dwelling. It's where Abraham's dwelling right now. Uh, that wilderness, that area. So she's not on her journey toward, she's just wandering around out. She don't have nowhere to go. She don't have no, I mean, she, she's out wandering around in the wilderness in the surrounding area of where he sent her out from. And so it's almost like she's helpless, hopeless, don't know where to go out in the wilderness with my, my son. Don't, don't have any clue what's going on whatsoever. And of course, if you're out there wandering, doing nothing, what happens? The water runs out. The water runs out. The provisions run out. And it says in verse 15, the water was spent in the bottle and she cast the child uh, under one of the shrubs. That almost makes it sound like she threw the baby in the bushes. You know what I mean? But really, that verb is always used uh, in the Old Testament to talk about laying a body in a grave, laying someone down in their grave. And so basically, she's take, she takes, she tells, I, uh, I keep wanting to say Isaac, Ishmael, uh, just, you know, we're starving, we're thirsty. You can imagine. Imagine that, you know, it's it's painful. We've gotten to the point now where she has pretty much gave up and said, look, we're going to die. Let's just find us a spot. And she it, the, the verb used is almost like she she picks out his grave and, and places him down in his grave. And it says she walks off so she don't have to see him die in verse uh 16, she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bow shot, which is a bow shot's pretty good ways, you know. I mean, even, I mean, they had no compound bow back then, but even a good, you know, bow is probably, you know, I could hit, I could hit mid parking lot from here, you know. So she goes off a pretty good ways, and it says, uh, where am I at? 16. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lifted up her voice and wept. She lifted up her voice and wept. So what, what do you see? Desperation. It's over. We're going to die. It's all done. I can't watch my son die. You, you stay over there. We're just going to sit here and starve. Now, what has Hagar done? She has forgotten the promise of God that was given to her. You remember the promise God gave Hagar? When did God make a promise to Hagar? Oh, come on. Huh? When Sarah sent her out the first time. What happened? Somebody tell me the story. Really? God told her to go back. God told her to go back to Sarah. 
And what did he promise? And submit herself to Sarah. Submit herself to Sarah. What did God promise Hagar? She remember, she's pregnant with Ishmael. God promised what? I'm going to make a nation out of your son. I'm going to make a nation. Now, is she thinking? And that was really, Hagar is the only woman in all of Scripture that names God. Remember, she named him the God who hears. And that's why Ishmael is named Ishmael. The word Ishmael in Hebrew means God hears. And so we see that she's completely given up on any promise, forgotten about any promise. She She's sitting down to die rather than understanding that it was in the wilderness that God came to you the first time and gave you a promise, gave you a word, gave you a, a promise that your son's not going to die over in a bush somewhere. He's going to be made into a great nation. Your son's 14, 15, 16 years old. He's not a nation yet, so the promise hadn't been fulfilled. And instead of trusting the promise of this God, she despairs and she's ready to die, right? So what does God do? If I was God and people stopped trusting me, stopped obeying me, I would lightning bolt them. That's not what that's not what our God does. He comes to us again and again and again. Don't you remember my promise, daughter? Don't you remember my promise, son? Don't you remember? And he tells her, God heard the voice of the lad. The last thing you read in 16, whose whose voice is being lifted up? And she over against him and lifted up her voice and wept. He did not. It doesn't say he heard her. I'm sure he did hear her voice. But it says God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God came to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise and lift up the lad and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. Why does it say God heard the lad rather than Hagar? Because he's the promised person. He is the one that God promised to keep, to guard, to make a great nation of. He is not the promised seed. He is not the line of promise. But he has received a promise that he will be a nation. And so when that bearer of the promise is heard weeping and crying in the wilderness. God hears, God comes. It says God has heard the weeping. That's a word play right there. What's Ishmael's name? I mean, it's Ishmael, but what does Ishmael's name mean? God hears. God hears. And here it says God has heard Ishmael. God has heard, God hears. God has heard Ishmael. And he says, basically, what he's saying is, don't you remember? Don't you remember the promise? Lift his, get up. Lift him up. Don't, don't you remember what I've told you? I'm going to make a great nation out of him. He's not going to die over there in the bushes. And basically, he's just come and said, don't, don't forget the promise that I made. Don't, there's no need to weep. Grace, grace comes to her in the midst of all this because she's forgotten what, what the promise. Fear not, God's heard his voice arise. Get up and lift him up and hold him in your hand. Hold him by the hand for I am going to make him a great nation. In verse 19, it says, God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. Now, that is amazing to me. Doesn't it, doesn't it seem like, I mean, her deliverance was right there the whole time. Why couldn't she see it? 
she was too distraught. Too distraught. I mean, I don't have no perfect answer. I'm asking you. Why, why couldn't she see it? She was too distraught. That's a good answer. Yeah, by grief. She was grieved. She was hopeless. She was despairing. She was focused on her problem. She was focused on the issue. She was focused, woe is me, when her deliverance was probably, I mean, it was right there. The well was right there. It doesn't say God led her 20 feet away. It doesn't say God walked her to a path. It said she's standing there with Ishmael, and it says God opened her eyes, and bang, there's a well. I don't think the well just appeared. I think the well had always been there she just didn't see it she didn't she was too focused on oh we're gonna die it's never gonna work out everything's bad the deliverance god had promised was right there in front of her the entire time i have a question okay um verse 18 where god says i will make him a great nation mm-hmm. were the arabs in place at that time um it's hard to say it's hard to say the way we define the word Arabs. There were people living in Egypt at the time. There were people living in the Middle East at the time. There were people living in all those regions at the time. But you're going to see that Ishmael is going to be the father of uh, that people group, the people group, I, the Arab I, I people group. Back then, they were they weren't really classified as as uh, Arabs and you know different. It was Hittites and Canaanites and Egyptians, and it was based on national identity. And so, if you want to, I'm just gonna, and I'm I'm not saying this is complete fact. I'd probably study on it a little more, but I would say yes, there were already people that had those characteristics as far as being Middle Eastern, as far as being Middle, you know, Egyptian or African or, you know, Mesopotamian or just in that whole area. Um, but his line is going to be one that his line is going to be one that is almost always in conflict, in conflict and fighting against the people of God. And, and it even says that in the New Testament. But. And I guess this is just me. Uh-huh. With the conflict that we have today with the terrorists from that group of people. I guess I have a problem with that being considered a great nation because of the way they persecute and feel about Christians. Well, two things. Number one... There are a lot of Arab Christians in Palestine, so the seed of the, the seed of promise now is and always is through the Messiah. So there's no Jew, Gentile, no slave, no free, no Greek, no no woman, no man, no woman in Christ. They're all the seed of of Abraham. Uh, second thing is when he says great nation, he doesn't necessarily mean woo the best nation in the world. He means a big nation. He means a big nation of people. It means a, a large, uh, a big nation of people. And so he says, I am going to make him a big, a big people group. So he's not going to die here in the wilderness. He's not going to die up under the bush. And then I got to hurry. It says, uh, and he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran. His mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. Why did she go to Egypt? That's where she's from. 
That's where she's from. Egyptian. Egyptian handmaiden. That's right. And it came to pass at that time. Oh, no. That's too far. God was with the lad, 20, and he grew, dwelt in the wilderness, became an archer. He was good with the bow. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran. His mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. Now, why would God say send off this? Let me make sure you understand this before we move on. I got to move on real quick at this last part of this chapter. Um, God is not just arbitrarily saying, well, they're going to send. We'll send out the bond woman here and forget her forget the uh, Ishmael God is cleaning up Abraham's mess remember it wasn't God who said take this Egyptian bondwoman that you really shouldn't have anyway but you went down to Egypt against my will and you played with Pharaoh and told him Sarah was your sister and you got all mixed up in this mess and so now you have Ishmael and you have all this going on this is God cleaning up Abraham's mess this is not God being just mean and arbitrary saying we're going to send off this this is God removing the threat to the promised seed. And so this is all Abraham's fault. This is not God just being capricious or mean or whatever. He is taking care of Ishmael, making him a nation, taking care of Hagar, but he's really just cleaning up Abraham's mess. And so now what you see is the threat is gone. The threat is out of the picture. They're celebrating the birth of Isaac. The seed has finally come. The the birth of the son they've been waiting on for 25 years is here. Everything is unicorns and rainbows and and roses and it's just good. Everything's fine. And so that's how we're going to continue in the last part of this chapter and I got to hurry. Verse 22 says, and it came to pass at that time that Abimelech, remember him? We talked about him last week. Abimelech, who is he? He is the king of what nation? Huh? No. Philistine. He's a Philistine. Abimelech is the title. It's not his name. It's like Pharaoh is of Egypt. You know, they're all Pharaohs. They're all, all the Philistine kings are Abimelechs. Abimelech means father. It means father king. My father is king. Av is father and Melech is king. And so Abimelech is father king, the Pharaoh of this Philistine land that he's living in, he's dwelling in. It says Abimelech and 22, uh, Phicol, the chief captain of his host, spoke with Abraham saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now therefore, swear unto me here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done to thee, thou shalt do unto me and to the land where thou hast sojourned. What's Abimelech want? He wants Abraham to make an oath, make a covenant. Why? Abraham's already deceived him once, but he sees God's hand all over Abraham. Everything Abraham does, God's blessing. You know, even when Abraham deceived Abimelech and told him Sarah was his sister, God blessed Abraham, and the only way Abimelech could get out of the deal was if Abraham prayed for him. You know, you you saw that all in the last chapter. And so he said, this is what we need to do. We need to make a covenant. And I'm not going to have time to read the rest of this chapter, but what happens is Abraham says, okay, I'm going to make a covenant with you. He says, but we need to talk about something. Some of your men have stolen a well that I dug. All this is in the rest of the chapter. Go home and read it. Uh, And so Abimelech said, I didn't know that it even happened. You know, so we're going to give the well back to you and you're going to have water rights here and you don't have to worry about it. And so Abraham takes takes seven ewe uh, lambs from his flock. And Abimelech says, what are these lambs for? And he says, these lambs, when you take these lambs, it is a covenant between you and me that everybody in this land knows that I dug that well and I have the water rights to there. And Abimelech says, no problem. It's all good. They make a covenant together. And then it says, Abraham worshiped God. He, he planted a tree, uh, a Meribeth tree. Is that what it says? Thus he made a covenant. Verse 32 says, thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Beersheba 
Beersheba means well oath. Uh, they made an oath at the well about this well. Then Abimelech rose up and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. The chapter ends, everything is beautiful. There's no tension. He's at peace in the land. He's made a covenant with the ruler. He has access to the well. He's got plenty of water. The threat, the internal threat in his family is gone, uh, taken care of by God. Everything is beautiful. Life is good. There's nothing to worry about. And all of this is a setup for what's coming in chapter 22. In chapter 22, everything, he is, he is, Abraham is looking and everything is wonderful. You couldn't act. God has been faithful. It, it just couldn't ask for a better life. And then God's going to come ask something crazy. He's going to come and say, look, I'm glad everything's going good for you. Good thing. You know, I've done all I said. Uh, by the way, take your take your son there and, and go sacrifice. And Abraham, in the midst of all this good, is going to have to face this huge test of his faith. We'll talk about that next week. OK, any questions, comments, cries of outrage? No? Okay. Lord, we love you. We thank you today for your blessings. Thank you for the mercy that you give. We just ask that you'd be with us today as we go into service. Uh, be with Brother Eddie as he brings the word to us. And be with our hearts, God, as our hearts are, uh, they need to be able to receive this word. So we pray that you would come and that you would guide us and that you would do your will in, uh, in uh, this service today. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.